So get your Bibles out, open them up to Galatians chapter 5. I like to jump right into messages. I like to end them abruptly. I'm not much for introductions or closings. I used to do all that kind of stuff. I used to, well, you need a good introduction to get everybody's attention. But now I'm like, well, the Word of God should get our attention. You know, there's nothing more exciting than that. So we're going to jump into it. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Let's pray. Lord, we open our Bibles tonight with hope and expectation that you will translate these spiritual words to us because we are a people who have your Holy Spirit within us. And so we're able to discern what these words say. And so, Lord, I pray you would teach us that they would be powerful words that they would be words of truth, they would be words of life. Lord, not only will they be things that teach us how to walk and how to live, but, but Lord, I pray that these are words that teach us about you. We open the scriptures not just to learn, but we open them to grow in our relationship with you. So Lord, I pray that we would walk closer to you because of what we learn from the scriptures that our eyes would be opened anew even more to understand what you have for us. And so we thank you for them, Lord. Teach us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Paul understood the conflicting impulses that humans have. He was a Jewish student, and as a Jewish student, he learned from the rabbis that the human being has two desires— there is the yester tab and the yester ra. Yester tab means the good impulses. The yester ra means the bad impulses. He learned this growing up. But now, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, Paul is getting a deeper understanding of these two impulses. And in this passage, he's speaking in contrast between the works of the Spirit, which would be the good impulses, and the works of the flesh, which would be the bad impulses. The good impulses, walking in the Spirit. The bad impulses, fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Now, if you walk, and, and what walking means, it's, it's not transporting yourself from one place to the other with your legs. It, in the Bible, it means the, uh, the lifestyle that you live, the manner in which you live your life, the intent that you, you carry in your life. So if you walk in the Spirit then the opportunity, the location for contrary desire, it's not going to find a place of fulfillment. Now, before we can walk, we must learn how to stand. We must do things in order. We can't get ahead of ourselves. Now, we had, you know, a lot of kids. There's so many, I'm not even sure how many there were. I'm down to my youngest, 19, still living in the house, and it's, it's wonderful. You know, just, I love the fact that they've grown up and they're all out there. But, I, I mean, I remember the baby days. How many of you are in baby days? Anyone here? 
Okay, some of you are in jail right now. You're in child jail. And then, you know, as you grow up, you know, you're going to get more privileges in jail as a parent. And then, then you'll be put on probation. And I'm like at the end of my probation. You know, I'm there. But when they're little, you know, you get so excited with that first kid because you're like, oh, they're walking. We're so excited. But by the third or fourth kid, you're like, push them down. They'll get into everything. They can get to that later. You have to learn how to stand before you can walk. We want that for our kids. We want that for ourselves. And so this passage, we go back a little bit. This passage actually tells us that, that, you know, what we need to stand in. Verse 16 is a transition in the midst of chapter 5. The first half of chapter 5 is talking about standing. Look back to verse 1. It tells us to stand firm. Standing comes first. We need to stand first and foremost in the grace and in the freedom that is in Christ. You may think, well, don't we need to stand in good doctrine? That, that'll come. Don't we need to stand in you know, knowing what all the rules are? No, no. Don't, don't we need to stand in good behaviors and things like that? No, no, no. That, that comes later. First and foremost, you stand in the grace and freedom that is in Christ. We stand in the understanding that our efforts do not produce gain with God. The favor that God gives 100% comes freely to you in Christ. Now, if we are to fall into our legalistic desires, because legalism is a desire. It's a desire of logic. You know, by logic, we want to, you know, make sure that everything is working according to the rules and we have a good system in place and everything is logical. So if we fall into our legalistic desires and we begin to operate, that is, walk in the flesh by maintaining laws and traditions and behaviors for the purpose, we think, of gaining God's favor, favor then our initial disposition is flawed. We'll be out there walking in life, but we'll be walking the wrong way. Because we're standing in the law, we're standing in rules, we're standing in legalism, and therefore we'll walk that way. We're walking, moving forward, living our life from a starting point and a disposition that, that, that is works-based merit, which by the way is, is how most every human in the world operates. Everyone becoming a transformed believer in Jesus is supposed to make you different than the world. The main difference is, right off the bat, it's grace. Grace is the thing we stand in. The world doesn't understand that. They're like, well, you have to earn things, or you have to do things to get what you want, or you have to take things. I mean, for them, it's completely different. For us, we're standing in grace. God's going to work everything else out. There's nothing that you can do to merit God's favor. All of that was won for you by Jesus. Now, if we seek to gain God's favor with our laws, then we are standing in the law, which is maintained by the flesh. If we receive God's favor freely and recognize that we cannot earn it, then we're learning to stand in the freedom that is given and not in the freedom that is earned. You are free, every one of you. Every one of you that is a believer in Jesus, you are free, but it's not because you did anything. You are free because of what Jesus did. That means we're accepting and standing in a spiritual truth. Remember, you have to stand before you can walk. So herein is a standard principle in life. The principles upon which you stand will determine the manner in which you walk. There was an evil man, you've heard of him, named Aleister Crowley, who penned a phrase 
upon which Satanists and anarchists and humanists stand as a principle of life. Basically, he says, do what you want, and that is the whole of the law. That was his, his thing that he stood upon. If the principle of my life is doing what pleases me solely, if this is how I stand, then, well, believe it or not, as I walk that out, I will have a destructive impact upon other individuals and upon society as a whole. The way I walk will be destructive not only for others, but, but for me also. You know, What would my life be if, if I was only concerned with doing the things that made me feel good? My life would be worthless. I would be worthless to society. If an idea or philosophy has come into your life and it's strong, it influences you, it's all you want to read about, you're watching the YouTube videos about it, you know, that's the thing that's going to pop up in your conversation. It's going to start popping up in the way you think, in the way you process. And if it's strong and you stand upon that idea and that philosophy, we'll count on it. Those are the types of things that will determine the way you walk. If personal selfishness overrides the realization that you have received all things freely from God, and we stand in grace, we've received all things freely from God, well, well what if personal selfish, selfishness overrides that? Then we will struggle with generosity. It's like, I'm not a very generous person. Well, what are you standing in? Oh, well, I'm standing in you know, worry and fear and selfishness and greed. Well, if you're standing in grace, you'll walk in grace. Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 8, freely you have received, freely give. There it is, simply stated. If we stand in the philosophy of receiving freely, then we will walk in that same philosophy. Five and a half years ago, we were given a building. We were given five acres of land right in Charlottesville, about one mile down the road. It was actually nine-tenths of a mile. I like to be literal. So we could say under a mile. From the warehouse that we were in that we could no longer afford to rent. We were coming to a point of crisis. You know, it was, you know we'd, we'd already laid some people off. We'd already made some changes. We'd already, you know, pinched the budget down as much as we could. And we we're looking out. Listen, we have three months. And at three months, if things continue the way they're continuing, then we're going to have to make a, a serious decision. And so I was starting to look for a job, look for work. I had an idea to start a business. And my mind was going that direction. And, and uh, right across the parking lot, there's a veterinary office. And one of my elders owns that. And I'd go over there for coffee. And he'd keep telling me, don't worry about it. I'm like, what do you mean, don't worry about it? You're the treasurer. You know, what do you mean, don't worry? He said, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be taken care of. So another friend of mine was pastoring a little church, nine-tenths a mile down the road. And I met him for lunch, and he said, the trustees are going to shut this church down. And I said, do you guys know how to do that? And he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, there's some laws and rules for shutting down a nonprofit, you know, all these things. He said, will you come and meet with the trustees and tell them what to do. So I did. I went and said, this is what you can do. Your best case scenario is to liquidate everything, keep the church entity open because you guys have a bunch of missionaries, set up a fund, and then just support your missionaries for years. Best thing you can do. And they're like, we're done. There's just four of us. We're done here. I said, well, you can do a full transfer to another nonprofit. Two days later, they called. They said, would you like to be considered? I'm like, well, we're really in a good place 
to receive free property right now. <laughs> Two weeks later, they said, we want to give it to you. And there went our problem with rent. Freely we have been given. And so our conviction is that we would freely give. And so people, like, especially during COVID, like everybody was not, you know, everyone who met in the school was shut down. All the churches, you know, a lot of them, oh, our church isn't meeting, but we still want to meet. Our men's group wants to meet. Our women's group wants to meet. We were letting so many churches just come. Like, we had a full schedule. Letting people go, what are, why are you doing this? It's like, because the Lord gave this to us for free. And so we stand in the grace of God, and freely we want to give it back. If we stand in the realization that we are loved beyond measure by God, then there's no reason in the world why, you know, we realize there's no reason in the world why God would love us that much. Well, then guess what? We're going to be more disposed to love other people, even the ones that are hard to love. You know, we're going to say, man, these people are so difficult. And then we realize, but God loves me so much. I stand in that love. I realize that grace, and so that makes me a person who is willing to show love to others. If we stand on the good impulses, then that is what is more likely to come out. Now notice what Paul says in verse 17 in this passage in Galatians 5. He says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Did you know that when you became a Christian, you were going to create a nonstop conflict within your life? Like, oh, I'm a Christian now. All right, here's your conflict. What do you mean conflict? Don't worry, it's a good thing. It's a realization that there is something within you that is good and true and alive, yet you're still carrying around something that's not. It's a good reminder. It's a conflict. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, meaning literally there is a conflicting desire. The desires of the spirit are in direct conflict with the desires of the flesh, vice versa. And this is a constant theme in the Bible. It's like, oh, I see that over and over again, reading through the scriptures, the flesh and the spirit and the, con the conflict that is there. It's kind of like the command in the Bible to don't be afraid. Don't fear. If you go through and count them all, 366 times in the Bible. Leap year is covered. One do not fear per day. Why would God do that? Because we need to be told every day, stop being afraid. Stop it. The flesh wants to lead us in a destructive way. The spirit wants to lead us in a blessed way. Every day we wake up and we're reminded that we have desires that are in opposition to God's design. We have desires that are ultimately destructive to ourselves and to others. Therefore, this, this principle repeats itself over and over again in the Bible because we need it repeated. You know, you might say, you know, oh, I've told my kid to do that a thousand times. It's like, well, you're going to tell him a thousand more. Because people just need to be reminded. We need it. We go to the Bible. Why is it saying the same thing over and over again? Because we need that reminder. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, 
following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What are we being told here? Well, there is a way of the world. And there is a controlling power of evil in the world. And before we received spiritual life in Jesus, we lived a fleshly life. We lived a life where we were seeking the desires of the flesh and ultimately reaping destruction and wrath. That, that was before Jesus. Now, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Peter is saying it too. Here it is again. The Bible just keeps reminding us the same thing. Be clear-minded so that you can see things clearly in the proper light. Rest your hope upon what? Upon grace. That's the message of Galatians. Don't rest your hope in the law, but rather rest your hope in God's grace. Don't rest in what we can do for ourselves, but rather rest in what God has done for us. The former lust is the desire of the flesh, and it's in conflict with the call from God to us to be holy. Now back to Galatians 5, look again, verse 18. It says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now before we operated by an external adherence to an external law, before we did that. But now the moral intent of those laws is being worked into us if we are first allowing the Spirit to work into our lives. We don't need to be under the law. The law is, in fact, being worked into us, not in a manner of outward physical compliance, but rather in a manner of inward and moral understanding. The philosophers of old used to say that the truly wise did not need the law because they followed the wisdom that was in their heart and by doing so naturally fell in line with the ultimate considerations of the law. Jesus would oftentimes bring the law up and then he would raise the standard. You know, well, can we hate someone? The law says, doesn't say we can't hate someone. Jesus says, if you do, it's murder. Well, what if we lust after someone? The law just talks about, you know, lying with another man's wife. What if you lust after someone? Jesus says, you've committed adultery in your heart. There's great wisdom in this principle, for this is what God intends for us. By walking in the Spirit, the moral intent of God's law is worked into our lives. And that ultimately is what will come out of our lives when we walk with Him. Continuing on, Galatians 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. You know, this is what we're in conflict with. This is what the Spirit is in conflict with. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So here's the manifestation of selfishness. What does the self want? Well, you can probably find it in this list. This is what the flesh wants to do. And this passage isn't saying that, well, if you fall into a temptation and commit a, a sin along the way in your walk as a believer, that you have abandoned your inheritance in the kingdom of God. That's not what this is saying. This passage speaks of those who walk in these practices of those who live their lives in these ways. You might say, oh man, I, I just, you know, I, I got caught up in a division or, or I just really had an unhealthy rivalry with this person or, or you know, that, that one time I went and I, I shouldn't have drank stuff and I, and I got drunk and that one, does that mean I lose my inheritance? No, this talks about people who walk in those things. You fell, you have the conviction of the Lord upon you, repent, don't do that again, move forward in the grace of God. But here's what the flesh wants to do. The flesh wants to pervert God's design and intent for sexual relations. It wants, to give our effect, it wants us to give our affections to objects and ideas that are not of God. It wants us to partake in those things which alter our mental state and surrender our control over to substance. It wants us to deal with disappointment by means of hatred and contention and division. It drives us to want and have what is not ours, even if it means deceiving others to get it. That's what the flesh wants. The flesh desires division. Now, your Bible might say heresies there. And to be clear, that is what heresy is. Heresy is about division. Not really doctrine. You might say, oh, that person's a heretic because their doctrine's wrong. Well, their doctrines, their wrong doctrine might create division in the body, and that's why they're a heretic, because of the division. That's what her heresy's all about. A heretic is not necessarily a person who believes wrong things, but rather a person who does things to divide the body. A heretic can be a heretic even with sound doctrine. They're doing it in a manner to bring division. They may do that with false doctrine, but doctrine doesn't make a heretic. Division does. Now, the Greek word heresy isn't always bad, believe it or not. When the Bible speaks of election or of some being chosen, it speaks of them being divided away into God's calling. That word divided there again is heresy. In this case, like with most, the word is negative. The flesh seeks division. The flesh seeks to separate ideas from the context of truth. The flesh wants the scriptures to affirm the actions that it wants to do. Therefore, it will divide ideas and snippets from the context of the Bible. If you want to see all of this in action, just look with great discernment into the writings who call themselves progressive Christians. Or the new popular word is what? Deconstructionist. That's the new fad word. It'll go away in a year. The flesh doesn't want to be told what is right by some outside source. 
It wants to choose its own form of right and wrong. It wants to create its own form of morality. You know, I, I have a brother who like, will just tell me, well, you know what, I just have my own beliefs. And I'm like, wait a minute. You've just made something up in your head? And that's what you believe in? He goes, yeah, yeah, I have my own beliefs. I said, that must take incredible faith. What do you mean? Well, I'm believing in, you know, a, a being that I see as being greater than me, eternal, who has given me scriptures, have been around for a long time, really tested and proven and really run through the ringer. And I have these scriptures that have really been tested and proven. And, and, and I could just go to this outward source and say, I'm a mess, but I can find truth here. And, but you, you just make stuff up and believe in it. That's incredible. But that's what a lot of people do. They just, well, I have my own beliefs. I'm just making things up or I'm believing things that are in line with what my flesh wants. The flesh doesn't want to be told what is right by some outside source. The flesh has no regard for others beyond personal gain. The flesh seeks comfort in drunkenness. This is what, what many people are living for. I drove Uber for a few years. It was sad, you know, in a university town. You go and you pick the kids up. They are living on the weekend just to get drunk. That's what they're living for. You know, I learned the terms. I, I, I didn't know them. They were, they're all talking about pregame. I'm like, oh, you guys going to something before the game? Is there a game? No, there's not a game. That's getting junk, drunk cheap before they go out to the bar where drinks are expensive. You know, they're living for it. Can't do a Friday or a Saturday night or a Thursday night without it. Living for it. Waiting for the next drink, the next hit, the next dose. If this is the practice of their lives, if this is the way they walk, then, then there's no heavenly inheritance. This is a person who is not standing upon grace and freedom in Jesus. This stuff is no longer our practice as Christians. It's no longer our walk. It is no longer the manner in which we live our lives. Now, in a moment, we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, which is in contrast to the works of the flesh. Here we have the flesh and the Spirit. That conflict is continuing to happen in this passage. The word fruit is also translated, I love this, harvest. The harvest of the Spirit. Have you ever heard that? I like that. Because it implies that there is both personal and corporate benefit. Something is being produced that benefits others. I grew up in Iowa. Have you ever heard of Iowa? You know, you've, it's, it's one of the pieces of plaid you fly over in a plane. And people live for harvest there. You spend your summers talking about harvest. You go into the fall. You know, it's harvest time. You're out driving combines and trucks full of corn and soybeans. And, and, and that benefits you because, you know, you're, you're making money. And then it benefits everyone else because you're sending it out all over the world. That's what, what harvest does. It, 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 is, it benefits others. But the fleshly product, that which is fabricated by works, it is not called a harvest. It's called a work. It's just an action. It's just a deed. 
a well-tended and fertilized field will produce a beneficial harvest. A field left on its own will produce weeds. Weeds, that's it. Where do they come from? You go out there and you till up the soil and it's like, it's all, where I'm from, black, where I grew up, down here in Virginia, it's kind of that orangey, orange, yeah, orange, right? That, that red soil. And you look at it, it's all tilled up and it's like, there's no weeds in there. And then you blink and you just see this like covering of green. Like there must be a million weed seeds right there at all times. If you're not tending it, if it's not fertilized, if it's not cared for, it's not going to produce a harvest. It's going to produce weeds. And we're the same way. Left to our own devices, our own methods, our own pleasures, we will produce weeds. And those weeds are listed by name in verses 19 through 21. Now, in contrast to the weeds, we see what is produced, you know, in our life by walking in the Spirit. So moving on to verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, the interesting thing about fruit is that it has to be grown. And it is the end result of a process. An apple cannot be created by a work or a deed. I'm going go, to go into the lab and I'm going to make an apple. An apple happens because the tree is healthy and it's growing and it's receiving what it needs to grow. Now jump over to Hebrews 9.14, if you're fast, because I'm just going to start reading it. Hebrews 9.14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Works don't create fruit. The spirit of God is purging those works out of us. We are told that the Spirit purifies our conscience of dead works so that we can serve God. And this lets us know that the works we produce apart from the Spirit are defined by God as being dead. Why is that? Well, because a work cannot create real fruit. Only a healthy process of growth. Now, remember, what comes out of us will have some reflection, some resemblance to that which goes into us. Our walk will reflect the thing that we stand upon. Or to put it another way, our fruit will be influenced by our fertilizer. Now, do we see and recognize that God loves us? Do, do you think about that? So, you know what? God really loves me. Do you ever think about that? You should. You should remind yourself of that every day. God loves me. How do we know that God gives us opportunity to experience joy and peace? How? Because he does. We've experienced it. Do we understand that God is patient and kind towards us? Well, I hope we do. Do we realize that God is good, he's faithful, he's gentle? Went through a hardship, yet God gave me peace. 
I went through a time of trial, yet somehow God gave me joy. Do you think about these good things that God does for you? These are venues through which we experience the grace of God. This is the stuff that is worked into us as we grow in Him and learn to experience Him in every part of our life. And if it's coming in, if that's a reality in our life, then it will also come out of us in the way we walk. Just as a fruit tree learns to be a fruit tree, we too will naturally, without effort to do so, we will produce fruit. Now, if this stuff here from verse 22 through 23 is coming out of our life, then we don't have to worry about the law. It's like, oh, I, I see this, this love and this joy and this peace, this patience, this kindness, this goodness, gentleness, self-control. These things are coming out of my life. If they're there for real, well, you don't have to worry about the law. You don't have to worry about having to meet obligations and perform the right rituals in order that you might somehow appease God by doing so. No way the moral intent of that outward law is worked into us by the Spirit of God as we walk in the Spirit. And that, the good stuff that is being worked into us, is what's going to come out of us. Now, there's a beauty, beautiful unity between the work of the Spirit in us and the fruit of love that comes out of us. Jesus teaches us the efficiency of love in Matthew chapter 22. He says there in verses 37 through 40, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. So if you're giving your all to love God and you're loving others as yourself, then you are carrying out the core essence of the law and the prophets. Not only that, but the efficiency of love comes to a more practical light. Here in Galatians 5, when we break down the grammar in verse 22, we find out that the fruit of the Spirit is a singular thing. The fruit of the Spirit is one thing. Well, how can you say it's one thing? I see a whole list of things here. No, the fruit of the Spirit is one thing. That thing is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Well, what's all this other stuff? What, what, what is this joy and this peace? and all, what, what are those things? Those are the things that come out of your life when you have the Spirit of God's love within you. You experience the love of God in your life and you walk in that love, you will have the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the gentleness and the self-control because those are all aspects of the Spirit of God's love in your life. If we learn to stand in grace and walk in the Spirit, then we will be a people of love. So today I want to bring focus to a desire that you might have for yourself. You, you, you might be one of those people who says, I just want to be a nicer person. You know, this has always been a challenge for me because I didn't know I was not nice. You know, there would be times where my wife or my friend would say, wow. You are a real jerk there. I'm like, what'd I do? Well, you said this. I'm like, what's wrong with that? You know, I, I learned that I am not naturally an empathetic person. I can do sympathy, 
You know, a person might say, oh, I'm having a hard time. And why? Because I'm going through this. And I can think, well, I went through something like that. I can relate to that. I can relate. I can, you know, extend whatever. But, but, but empathy, where you, where you can just like kind of know something's wrong with a person, man, I don't know how people do that. You know, if I came up to you and I said, hey, how are you doing? And you have this sad face, maybe a tear coming down your cheek. And this posture like this. And then you say, I'm fine. This is how I used to be. Oh, they're fine. I had to learn how to do that stuff. I had to learn how to say, wait a minute. They're not fine. Look at their face. They're actually sad. You know, this, you know these things we have to learn. So you say, I just want to be a nicer person. I've, I've, I've said this myself. Man, Julie, my wife, Julie, I need to learn how to be a nicer person. And she'll say, it's about time. <laughs> or maybe you say, I just want to be more loving and compassionate. It's like, well, I can do the loving part because loving is sacrifice. It's like, you need to move someone into my house? Come on in. You need someone to pick you up at the airport at 2 a.m.? I'm your guy. I can do all that stuff. But compassion, I'm not sure if I know how to do that. You know, it's like, we can figure this stuff out. If you're saying, I just need to make a greater effort to be nice or to love or to be patient, or, or, or I just wish I was nice, well, here's God's plan. Stop trying to make it happen. Stop trying to force the fruit. Your, your life just needs to let it happen. And here's how. If it isn't happening, then you might need to reevaluate the soil your roots are sinking down into. Where are your roots? Where are you receiving your spiritual nutrients? Where are you receiving your vitamins and minerals for your spiritual life? What kind of nourishment are you bringing into your heart, into your mind? You know, not the food kind of nourishment, but the spiritual kind of nourishment. What's Tapping you of your strength. You know, say, man, I just this is killing me. This is wearing me out. What's pulling you down? What's causing weakness in you? If there are weeds in your garden, what do you do? There's weeds in our garden. You get the hoe, you get out there, you pull them, you chop them, you spray them with cancer fluid. You do whatever to do. You kill those weeds. If you want to grow a nice melon, what do you do? You pull the weeds. I want to grow a good melon. I want to have good fruit. So I'm going to go out there and I'm going to work that garden. I'm going to kill those weeds. Well, why wouldn't we do that for ourselves? I got a lot of weeds in my life. Yeah, that's just too bad. That's just the way I am. Just going to have to fall back on God's grace later. Like people who will take their car to the garage to fix a muffler. But they won't take their broken marriage to a counselor to fix the most holy covenant that, 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 that God has entrusted them to. It's like, hey, you know, I know you guys have come and you've met with me and we've talked about the biblical principles, but I think you should really go see a counselor. And, and you know, one of them is always like, no, I'm not going to spend the money. Well, you spend the money to fix your car. What's more important to you? My car. Well, then we're not, you know, I don't think we're going to fix this. Hey, we'll pull a weed to grow a melon, but what about the weeds in your life? 
We need to be cautious of those who would drag us down and pull us away from the Lord. Do we recognize negative influences in your life? You should have unbelieving friends. You should spend time with unbelieving relatives. But you need to be the light. If they're pulling you down, you need to figure something out. You need to spend some less time until you can do it in a good way where you're walking away from that time and you're still standing strong in your faith. Plants of the same kind need other plants of the same kind to cross-pollinate. Those that are similar help each other to grow. So are we in a place where we are helping other people to grow? Are we around others who are like us spiritually? No, I... Two weeks ago, it might not have even been that long. I can never tell. It could have been last week. I went to Cleveland, and I went to a pastor's conference at Alistair Beggs Church. I, I try to go to this basics conference whenever I can. And I go there, and I sit in the back because I'm a back row person. And the sermons are so heady. Like, they bring in commentators from Australia you know, guys I've never heard of, and just these amazing, brilliant, heady sermons. But I'm looking around, and I'm with like 1,500 people that just don't really believe the same way I do. You know, and then, then I go to a, a Calvary Chapel thing. It's like, these are my people. There's comfort in that. There's encouragement in that. You know, interestingly, we found out there's becoming to be more and more Calvary guys at the Basics Conference. And the, reason, the way you can identify them is, is you bring one Calvary guy there who's well-known, and they flock to that person. So it's kind of like an ant trap. And so David Guzik was there, and uh, he, he came three years ago too, and he draws them out. There's always a people lined up around David, and we're like, look, there's Calvary people here. You know, David identified them. But you, if you're around other Christians, that's good. But sometimes it's just better to be around other Christians who are like you. You know, it's like, well, I got my super Pentecostal Christian friend from work. Yeah, we spend some time together. Okay, do they drive you a little crazy? Yeah, they do. But then you be around people who believe like you, and you're like, oh, I'm comfortable. I'm encouraged. I like being around my people. We need a little bit of that. It's part of what helps us grow. It's, we're designed for fellowship. A healthy plant will produce fruit. It doesn't have to try to make fruit. It merely needs to be healthy. Same for us. We need to be healthy. And the fruit, well, that will be worked out into our lives. The chapter finishes out with a charge to those who belong to Christ. Do we belong to Christ? Well, yes, we do. We have called him Lord. We've declared ourselves his servants. The works of our flesh are now in conflict. So, so to live for Christ, we need to consider the flesh now as it will be in the future. Right now, by faith, this flesh is dead. It's dead. You see, but it's still alive. I know. But it's as good as dead. And by faith, I'm considering it. So when it desires something, I'm like, how can a corpse desire something? You know, you don't get to have that. You're dead. The flesh has no future. It's a lame duck. 
How do we consider it dead? By not giving it opportunity for life. By not giving it the location nor the opportunity to rise up powerfully in our life. Maybe today you're feeling like you're totally helpless in the flesh. It's like, oh, every time my flesh wants to do something, it just happens. I wake up the next day and I'm like, Lord, it happened again. I'm sorry. Well, reason number one why this happens, maybe you're not walking or operating or existing in the ways of the Spirit. And because of this, you feel weak spiritually. Your flesh has been eating well, your flesh working out, taking its vitamins, but spiritually you're anemic because the spiritual stuff isn't coming into your life. Reason number two, maybe you've never actually given your life to Jesus. You're just like, well, being around church people kind of gives me a, a sense of security. And if either of these is your situation, I want to echo any conviction that the Holy Spirit might be laying upon your heart right now. Today is the day to do something about that. And guess what? If you don't do something about today, guess what tomorrow is? Tomorrow is the day to do something about that. And if you don't do something about it tomorrow, guess what the day after that is? That is the day you need to do something about it. And the Lord will open your eyes. He will convict you. He will let you know what you need to do. You know, Peter walked on the water, but that was all Jesus. That was all Jesus. Peter, you know, all he did was lowered himself off the boat. He was willing to do that. Jesus made it possible. So he took that step of faith. You know, he literally had to go over the edge of the boat and lower himself down. You know, we kind of think like the water was this far off the edge of the boat. You know, probably, probably had to lower himself down. He's down about here. His feet hit the water, and he, he had to let go. That's how much he did. Jesus did the rest of that. That's all God is asking from us, to take that first step, give him the opportunity to pour his grace into our lives every single day. And if we stand in that grace and we stand in that freedom, we will walk in it. And we will not please the desires of the flesh, but we'll please the ways of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the wisdom that is in it. Lord, I thank you that you say these same things to us over and over and over again in the scriptures because we need to be reminded. We need to be told, remember. We need to be told, hey, I know I've said this before, but I'm saying it again. It's that important. Don't let the flesh defeat you. Stand strong in the ways of the Spirit. Feed your life spiritually. Create an atmosphere where the fruit of the Spirit will grow. Fertilize that soil with the Word. Be a person of prayer. Be a person who is in community with other believers, not forsaking that assembling, being those who provoke one another to, to love and good works. Lord, put us in that place where we will grow, where we will flourish, where we will consider that flesh when it speaks up. We'll say, oh, not, not now. You're dead. You're dead. I am walking my life now in the Spirit. 
We thank you for your truth and the work of your Holy Spirit in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.